true beauty is a warm heart, a kind soul, and an attentive ear. Ken Poirot This is episode 13 of season two of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia and your host for this podcast. Couple of quick housekeeping things. I just want everyone to know that I did start a Facebook group called Emetophobia No Panic. And so of course, you're not allowed to go there and panic about something. Um, and we do not abbreviate words or have trigger warnings. So we talk about our recovery and uh, give each other help and support during the recovery process. So if a Facebook group is a little different from the others interests you, then go look for emetophobia, no panic. Also, just to let you know, there are some costs associated with producing this podcast. So if you'd like to contribute, you can scroll down to the bottom of the notes and click buy me a coffee or support the show or whatever. And you can buy me a coffee for five bucks or a couple of pounds or something. All right. Now, so I'm here with Courtney Hubscher of Groundwork Counseling in Orlando, Florida today. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Anna. I bet the weather's nice there in Florida. It is a little warmer than when you where you are, I'm guessing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're just here in Vancouver, got a little snow last night, um, which is unusual, but it it's typical for Canada to be under snow for six months of the year. So, you know. That's hard to that's imagine that. for us. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Florida. I've been to Orlando because okay. that's isn't that where um is is that where the Disney uh world is it in Orlando? Is. It yeah. is where Disney World is. I was going to say, yeah. did you come and do Disney? That's where. Yeah, we we kind of did. I mean, I went with my boyfriend like in 1977, whereas I took my kids to Disneyland mm. because we're just north of. Seattle so we just drove down the coast and went all the way to so LA cool. so we did the whole thing then you know met Mickey Mouse mm -hmm. and all that <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a, a bit about your counseling practice in general and what kinds of work you folks do there yeah, so it is a group. Um, my mom and I started the practice in 2013. Um, we're located a little bit north of Orlando. Um, we have four other clinicians within our office. And as a whole, we really focus on evidence-based treatment for anxiety disorders. Um, okay. So um, yeah. my mom and I specifically work with OCD um, and kind of related disorders. So, um, you know, emetophobia kind of um, is a big part of that. Um, and then our other clinicians work with things like social anxiety, emetophobia, um, agoraphobia, specific phobias, mm -hmm. um, generalized anxiety disorders, and depression in there. Um, so kind of right. uh, primarily anxiety is probably about 95% of our, our patients. Yeah, it's kind of nice to sort of specialize like um, in and what you're describing is quite focused, actually, mm -hmm. not as focused as I am, but mm -hmm. I've kind of developed a program specifically for emetophobia now that's more of a CBT based educational <laughs> kind of program um, with so many weeks and then they're kind of launched out in their own. Uh, so it's a bit different than mm -hmm. actual 
I, I, t I used to do what I call real therapy. That's a horrible thing to say about those of us who are treating <laughs> evidence-based using CBT, but you know, where I would, where I was sitting and listening, mainly mm -hmm. people in grief and crisis, that's very right. different. Um, these evidence-based, um, uh, what's it? Therapies. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's the word. Oh my brain. Oh gosh. Um, I'll edit that out. Probably not, but anyway. <laughs> um, so if I come into your practice and I have um, anything anxiety-based, any emetophobia, mm -hmm. what sorts of things would you do with me? Yeah, so um, we're really big into exposure. So, you know, for the clients that we work with that have emetophobia, um, you know, first of all, it's really looking at, you know, good evaluation of what's going on, um, kind of first and foremost. And then, you know, we go into developing a hierarchy, doing lots of exposures. I specifically work with kids. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of, um, working with the parents kind of really addressing a lot of the, um, accommodations that come along with that as well. Um, you know, parents, providing lots of reassurance and, you know, really well-meaning parents thinking they're doing the right thing and really just feeding emetophobia. So a lot of it is um, kind of retraining the parent's response to their child as well. Um, and then getting the child on board with wanting to address their emetophobia. And a lot of times they're really open to wanting to work on it. <laughs> I guess before they, they know what they've got to do. Right, um, exactly. It, yeah, you know, It's getting in the way. It's getting in the way of them being able to go to a friend's house, go to gymnastics, being able to you know go to school, eat out at a restaurant with friends. Um, all of these things, especially because of the social component for a lot of them, um, you know, there's definitely motivation to address it. So we do um, lots of gradual exposures too. So things like, you know, looking at pictures of, of um, people throwing up and cartoons of people throwing up if we need to take smaller steps um, and then going into, you know, videos and, you know, more graphic videos. And yeah. the, parents, the parents are also kind of getting exposure as we're, we're emailing homework back. Um, okay. And that's really, I think, what's changed too, kind of post-COVID is... Uh, doing it virtually, which actually mm -hmm. works really well. You you know this. It's amazing, um, isn't it? it? Is. I, I amazing. really had huge doubts at first, but I started back in 2010. I was mm -hmm. like, this is never going to work. It's going to yeah. be so impersonal. Then I yep. met a couple of my clients just because they were in Vancouver or I was down in Seattle or someplace. And I was like, this is really not much different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's so surprising. You know, when COVID mm -hmm. happened, um, we figured out kind of the virtual platform thing and we're all right, we're going to try to figure out how to do our job virtually. And I thought it was going to be kind of this subpar version of what we did in the office. Um, right. And it really shocked me. Um, it, you know, it, it yeah. took maybe a couple of weeks for me to get comfortable kind of with the, the presentation of what therapy looks like virtually. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, my clients, I think were, were more comfortable with virtual than I was initially because they're kids and they FaceTime their friends and they're really right. techy and they're really good at it. Um, so they really didn't miss a beat. Um, and it was just learning how to do things like sharing my screen with a client, um, right. you know, being able to still write imaginal exposure scripts, um, mm -hmm. you know, virtually mm -hmm. and doing things like that. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's adapted really well. And I have not gone back into the office since I, I really love virtual. That's that's great. That's pretty cool. 
Um, do you use my resources on my website? I do. Oh, yes, okay, I good. Do. That's good. Yeah, because I started a kids section a few years ago, like uh, with kids exposure, right? It's yes. Got all the yeah. unicorns that throw up rainbows and uh, stuff. I had it's a, a favorite. <laughs> I had a 10 year old boy and I worked with it. He was so cute. And so, and he, at first he would like really frown at a picture. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask him how high is your anxiety? And he'd be like, Oh, you know, whatever, not too high, three or four or something. And then he would just laugh. He'd go, that is the weirdest picture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is such a weird picture. And he kept saying that even all the way up to looking at the people vomiting. You know, he was like, that's a weird picture. That's weird. Well, he's right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's who is taking these pictures? Um, That's I tried to. Who is taking these pictures? (laughs) They've got a camera. Well, you know, I could actually tell you some stories about something because I try to, you know, I got them all off the internet. Many, many of them, as you can probably tell, are stock photos, which I purchased. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then other ones, though, um, I, I, I tried to find the person, you know, and contact them. May I use it? And a lot of them contact me back. Every single person was happy to let me use their photo. And mm-hmm. they would often tell me, like, the story of it. Some are still up there with, with if you own this picture, contact right. me, you know, Um but I'm using it, but yeah, That's like awesome. there's one of this girl that is sitting, a woman, and she's sitting on a toilet with a bucket on her lap. Like if, if you're listening folks and you haven't done any exposure, this is a really, really advanced one. You know, it's up in level seven or something. Um, and, and so her sister took the picture and she said, I took that picture because I thought it was hilarious that her boots matched the bucket. because they're like both a turquoise color you know and so and so yeah so there you go pretty random yeah um say a little bit about imaginal exposure scripts yes why yeah it's an interesting concept what it Tell is. Tell our listeners what you mean by that. Yeah. So I, um, you know, use imaginal exposure a lot with my OCD patients. So mm-hmm. um, really, I have found that using imaginal exposure scripts, which are, um, have, I usually will write them collaboratively with the client. Sometimes I'll write them for a client or I will have a client individually kind of as homework, kind of once they really are, are familiar with what a imaginal exposure script is, if we're doing more than one, um, I'll have them write it um, by themselves. But, you know, using imaginal exposure scripts is really um, the client imagining and writing um, in great detail kind of the worst thing happening. Um, we will typically uh write it, then we will record it and listen to it in the appointment. And then I do a lot of um, re-listening. So assigning that as homework. And then they'll listen to it, you know, up to, you know, 30 minutes a day or something like that. We'll usually do it kind of based off of their SUD scale or um, level of anxiety. So if they, you know, first time they listen to it that day jumps up to an eight. Um, I usually encourage them to listen to it until it comes down to a four. So a good 50% drop. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Different therapists have different, um, 
protocols with mm-hmm. with the you you just for our listeners may not be familiar the SUDS scale S U D S is subjective units of distress mm-hmm. or discomfort. Um, I hate that word discomfort because all the doctors use it when it's excruciating pain. You may find some discomfort with this yes. procedure. <laughs> They learn, they learn you're not allowed to say pain. Just don't yeah. say the word pain because it gets stuck in people's heads. So anyway, anyway, uh, distressed, they're also distressed. So um, yeah, some I've, I've talked with some people who have done, done consults. They've done consults with me mm-hmm. where they were um, pretty adamant that, that you had to get it down to zero or one, whatever mm-hmm. the baseline was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like that takes a long time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I think more of the literature now, I don't know what now is probably the last 10 years anyway, is telling us that we, people should learn to live with tolerate and just sit with anxiety. That's, mm-hmm. you know, present for them as long as it's not skyrocketing mm-hmm. high where mm-hmm. you can't really learn anything so 50 percent sounds like a good um yeah yeah it's nice when that happens and i mean for some mm-hmm. that you know we really don't see a ton of habituation there's still a lot of learning that can take place you know it's really learning right. to tolerate yeah. distress you know even if they're staying at you know an eight nine ten for a good chunk of time well, that's excellent. You know, we're, we're yes. sitting with that distress discomfort. Right. Yeah. If, if they can tolerate mm-hmm. eight, nine or 10 or, sure. you know, which, which is some, it depends how quickly I find this is just mm-hmm. observation, not scientific, but my, and with my own experience. So, you know, case study of one or whatever, but um, it is that if it goes quickly, like immediately up to 10, shoots up there then you then your brain just goes into survival mode and you mm-hmm. can't learn very much. your brain doesn't right. relearn the way to respond to it properly um if it slowly goes up there though you can you can kind of learn to tolerate it as mm-hmm. it as it moves up the scale yeah so um what do you tell people for you know, what represents zero and what represents 10 or do you do one to 10? You know, I, um, I don't typically have a specific, you know, scale of, you know, five means this. Sometimes I will use Dr. Irene Wagner actually has um, a visual one for children that I really like. It's yes. called the feeling thermometer, which I um, use and I yeah. get some training with her and I, I really love the visual for some of the younger kids. Um, Mm -hmm. For, you know, my older kids, I will usually just say, you know, hey, one is like no big deal piece of cake. And, you know, our 10 is I'm flying off the handle. I'm having a full-blown anxiety attack. So I'll try to just give them, you know, bottom and top and kind of um, make it really subjective otherwise. I fooled around with, with, with this for a long time. And it, again, I'm, I'm a, an annoyingly picky person, not with clients, because that's just not professional, but in my own mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like one of those people that will tell you like the, the grammar correction on Facebook, you know, and why of anyway, annoying. Yeah, I'm an annoying friend to have on Facebook, folks. Um, and that's why I don't accept any friends on Facebook that aren't actual friends. Anyway, back to that. So it used to drive me crazy 
crazy when people would go 11 or mm-hmm. 100 or something like that. And I'm like, oh, there is no 11 or 100, I would think in my right. own mind. So that now I say, I can finally figure out to say 10 is the worst panic possible. Mm, I like that. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I, oh man, I thought about that for years, mm-hmm. and then that works quite well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they say eleven, and I go, okay, so ten, because ten is the worst panic possible. Yeah. I like so that. So that that gives because if they say a hundred, then there's way there are way more numbers than we wanted to be working with. Right. Yes, I, I completely know, agree. So, and a lot of, you yeah. know, I think I find that with my teenagers, especially, I think they tend to be a little bit, you know, more dramatic than some. And, you know, the, be, yeah. we're, we're building the, that hierarchy. And, oh, that's, you're exactly right. They'll say, oh, there's 100. Yeah. And, you know, I, right. I like, you yeah. Know, yeah, worst, yeah. Panic, worst possible. panic possible. So like um, all the rest of you therapists listening yeah. out there. I might, I, I think I'll be stealing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's in the public domain. Yes. Um, Irene Wagner, I had forgotten her, her name, but I, I do have that feeling thermometer. Mm-hmm. Now, does it just have five um, little pictures or does it have seven? Like some of them have seven Hers is a 10 point scale. It's got 10. Yep. It's got Mm -hmm. 10. And there's on the like left-hand side of it, there is a, um, like an actual kind of old school looking thermometer. Um, yeah, but it goes through each, what, 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 you know, I'm going to have to, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to, to Google that because there are pain scales like that for kids Mm -hmm. too, that they had in hospital when I used to work in hospital. Um, and, and some of them had five, you know, like how much pain are you in the little pictures and some had seven. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So tell, tell us, how did you get into treating emetophobia? Because a lot of therapists have not ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my journey kind of started as more of a generalist with children. I knew I wanted to work with kids. So when we opened our practice, I um, kind of saw the gamut of, of everything. I saw, you know, depression, uh, behavioral issues, grief, some anxiety. Um, it's really all over the place. And then I really um, landed on OCD and emetophobia okay. um, because like you said, many therapists don't know what it is, nor do they know how to successfully treat it. So I mm-hmm. felt like there was a real need. Um, and the mm-hmm. first um, client I had that presented with emetophobia, I kind of was scratching my head going, what is this? You know, this was a child that was completely, mm-hmm. you know, school refusal. So this was, mm-hmm. you know, really affecting functioning. And I was kind of lost, to be honest with you. What What is mm-hmm. this? And what do I do about it? Um, and kind of the same rang true with, with OCD is, you know, there's lots of very odd presentations of OCD and they're kind of all over the board. Um, so I um, got more training in it. Um, I really thought it was, you know, this is a really fascinating thing and I, I want to get good at it. Um, so I did a lot of training through the International OCD Foundation um, mm-hmm. and really kind of honed ERP skills and, and, Okay. There was such a need for it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was able to completely fill my caseload. Um, Yeah. And and I, yeah. yeah, And I had such a passion for working with it. So I, you know, really ended up just. That's so cool. That's so great. I wish more therapists 
were like you that were unfamiliar with it and really yeah. try to understand. Mm-hmm. I know my own therapist back in around the year 2000 or so, um, uh, when I talked to him years later, kind of about, um, uh, he, he, one of the things he said was, you know, I didn't know what this was. So mm-hmm. I, I knew I just had to really listen to you and ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And I had had, 10 therapists before him from the age of, you know, five or six Mm -hmm. or something. And they had all just blown it off Mm -hmm. or they would tell me, Oh, you're afraid of seeing people vomit. Go sit in a, in an emergency room. That's your first homework assignment. And there might be vomiting people there. And I'm like, Oh no, like I, I, that's, I won't even like, I don't even go to emergency when I need to because of how scared I am. And then they would write, well, when you're ready to face your fear, give me a call back Mm. like, or tell my right to my doctor that I was non-compliant. And I have more than one tell me to do scary things or even start Mm -hmm. with let's watch videos, you know, um, I mean, there was no YouTube at the time, so you had to kind of watch a movie or something mm-hmm. that it was. But even that was too scary to start with sure. for me, for me, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, um, I know a lot of a lot of people do that and they start with videos. And so one of the things I did on my website with videos is that I started the videos really easy again, like almost mm-hmm. from the beginning. So the very yeah. first video is like a little baby spitting up or something mm-hmm. and little cartoon, you know, because they used to be much scarier videos that I had because I had assumed people went through all the Mm -hmm. pictures first, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but anyway, uh, so I do tell people, okay, we're going to do videos and they freak out. And I'm like, no, they start kind of over again, like really easy. And Oh yeah. The very first one is a, a Pennzoil commercial where the car doesn't like the, the oil and and it jumps, the engine jumps out of the car, (laughs) hops down the driveway and vomits. I put in quotation marks. Uh, It's the oil on the guy that put the oil in. Um, And, and it's pretty funny. So yeah, most people can handle that. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, And I'm so glad that there are people uh, and that training through the, um, the it slipped my mind now i'm a member of it the uh, the ocd association yep. international yeah. ocd foundation yeah. international yeah. ocd association yeah because i'm there's also an uh, international anxiety i think association or something like that too but i did some training with i think it was with them just to um uh, to get some training around cbt because my main i was mm-hmm. first you know, taught a Rogerian style of, and all my supervision was in that and family systems um, is originally when I got licensed. So I, it was okay. a learning curve for me. And I did, I did their OCD training. They let me into the level three course. <laughs> I had to do a couple quizzes and yeah, it was through Massachusetts hospital harvard university Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that's that's really good to know but i was thinking oh there was some emetophobia training but not not specifically not yet Mm -hmm. right nobody's offering that and i'm too old so if any of you listening out there want to put together a course on um i'm trying to write a book on treating emetophobia with a psychologist friend of mine but we are both procrastinators so Neat. Yeah, there's a, there's a need. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk about your understanding of the relationship between OCD and emetophobia? What do you see in your practice? So, you know, I think there's so many similarities between OCD and emetophobia, and I think it really comes from the uncertainty factor. I think, you know, uncertainty is kind of our core issue um, that causes so much distress around um, obsessions and compulsions, right? Like, I need to know for sure, um, you know, I need to make sure that that door doesn't have germs on it, or I need to make sure that, you know, I'm not really a serial killer or anything like that, you know, yeah. in terms of you know, yeah. those, those fears that you know, can be associated with OCD. Um, and I think the same goes for emetophobia is those, the, the fear mm. of uncertainty. Will the person next to me mm -hmm. throw up? Will I throw up? If I eat this, right. will it make me throw up? So I think, yeah. you know, the, the concept of risking it really comes into yes. um, our exposure work. And I think that, it's not just proving that the scary thing didn't happen, but it's also going, I was willing to risk it. And I think that's really what makes this skill set generalized so well is, you yeah. know, if, if I'm willing to risk it this time, then I'll be willing to risk it again. Right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how people are so unwilling to take any risk at all, no matter. And there's always risk of vomiting. I don't think uh -huh. there's ever a situation yeah. where you can say to a client, oh, 100%, you will not vomit from that. Like, yes. I don't know when you're going to vomit next. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Neither yeah. do you. You know, no one does. So, um, yeah, that's that's true. And yet and yet we're we're risk takers, aren't we? It, like the way we live on the humans on the planet, like we get in cars. Yeah. Why do we get into cars? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you can be maimed or paralyzed or killed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it happens a lot. You know, yeah. it's not rare. It's not mm -hmm, rare. It happens mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I tell I tell folks sometimes that uh, we, we live in the earthquake zone out here on the West Coast, right? Same as same as California. We Lots of uncertainty fault. there. Yeah, yeah, we have the fault line going all the way yeah. up and down the coast. And the kids in the school behind me, um, they they have earthquake drills. So you can hear certain bells mm -hmm. ring and, and it, you know, oh, they're having an earthquake drill. So they have to get under the desk. That's what you do, under the desk, right? Because you mm -hmm. don't want stuff to fall on your head. And And so I tell my clients, but we don't, you know, here on the West Coast, we don't live under the desk. We don't live mm -hmm. under our mm -hmm. kitchen tables. We mm -hmm. walk around, we go shopping, you know, earthquake could hit at any time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. could be walking through Ikea, picking up your, I always think those gigantic <laughs> shelves <laughs> with the really heavy stuff yeah. on the top. I, I, I don't get scared, but I often mm -hmm. think about earthquakes when I'm Not walking Not where you want to be. <laughs> no, or uh, in the tunnel that goes under the river or whatever mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. But um, I don't, and I don't know where it comes from. Just not being able to cope with that uncertainty mm -hmm. factor. Mm -hmm. But it probably, I know what one of the things you said a while ago. Um, what did you call them? I made a little note here. Oh, it probably starts with parents making accommodations. Is mm -hmm. what you use the word accommodations mm -hmm. and um, or enabling mm -hmm. is another word. Mm -hmm. uh, reassurance, mm -hmm. reassuring, right? Which is a natural thing. Do you have mm -hmm. kids? Yourself. I do. I do. Yeah. So it's so such a mother thing or even a dad. Oh, no, yes. it's, oh, no, it's okay. Just, it's okay. you know, mm -hmm. get on the pony. I'll be right beside you. Mm -hmm. Nothing, you're, it's fine. Hang mm -hmm. on to the little thing. You'll be fine. 
but wow, does that ever, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, do you, do you find that parents are surprised when you tell them they should not be reassuring their kids? Yes. Many are, are really surprised. You know, our, our initial parent appointment, when we're kind of talking about those things, parents, okay. I think sometimes really are like, yes, of course. And I, I keep telling him, of course, he's not going to throw mm. up. You know, we've, we've mm-hmm. had this sandwich five times and, you know, it's never right. happened. And it, it seems like the logical right thing that would be super helpful to remind your child However, you know, no amount of logic. And I think, again, going back to your question of how emetophobia and OCD are similar, Mm -hmm. no amount of logic tends to help. It's still kind of going back to that core of like, what if, but what if this time it happens? Right. So, you know, I think the, the accommodations, um, for both OCD and emetophobia, um, that parents provide really, you know, feed it um yeah and, and yeah. help it grow and i think yeah. that's where we look at it as you know that reassurance is is very compulsive um in nature and for for metaphobia it is it really serves as kind of that safety behavior that that keeps it going yeah and then people grow up i think and they reassure themselves mm-hmm. in their own heads yes. which is also not helpful Nope, you know, not at all. Yeah. Because it, it it's becomes a safety behavior. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to discover that I think for myself and, and then yeah. also for also for my clients that they're saying things to themselves inside their own heads, as opposed to tolerating this anxiety and allowing it to be there. Mm-hmm. So they're exactly. they're trying to calm down, you know, mm-hmm. when they've been trying to calm down for, you know, 30 years or whatever, and Mm -hmm. it hasn't worked for them. Right. So, um, but, you know, I think if a a lot of the folks that are listening that have not been through therapy, I think that maybe some of the stuff we've been talking about sounds scary because it sounds like we throw it all at you in the first session or something, Mm -hmm. but we're talking over a period of months to kind of gradually learn these things and to mm-hmm. gradually change your behavior and and all of that. And gradual is like a super key thing. Yes. Yep. It, it definitely is in small steps. And I think, you know, it really depends on the client, how fast we go. And I always, you know, tell my clients, you really lead the way in terms of, you know, how fast we progress up your hierarchy of exposures. And, you know, right. sometimes we have to break exposures down that we thought, oh, this was this was a good starting yeah. place. And we go, oh, actually not, you know, we, we've got to break it into smaller steps. And that's okay. Yeah. Have you ever had a client and I know you can't say anything, yeah. you know, identifying about clients, but have you ever had a client that that you just could not figure out why it wasn't working, whatever it was you were doing? You know, I think the, the thing that bec- can become a challenge is when skill sets don't generalize for clients or they need, right. you know, really that structure. And, and I always tell my clients, I want to train you to be your own therapist that you won't yeah. need me mm-hmm. anymore. You know, this, yeah. I want to work myself out of this job. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, there, there has been times that the skill set hasn't generalized and that can sometimes be, you know, kind of, we got to go back to the drawing board and see what we need to do to, to help that. Um, yeah. But I think sometimes where we we, we have it a challenge is when the client really is not willing to accept uncertainty, um, and and I think sometimes that that becomes a little bit of a barrier to treatment. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, and just to um, for folks who may not be familiar with 
the term generalized well, skills that don't generalize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Courtney's saying it, it means that you know you have one skill in one area of your life, and then it applies to every other area of your life, and that's what we mean by generalized. So, you know, for example, you can look at every video on my. Um, on, on my site there, but then you might say, oh, but I can't look at any other video ever, mm-hmm. you know, but that isn't really the case. <laughs> Although a lot of them mm-hmm. say that to me. I remember I said that to my own therapist who knew nothing about emetophobia and he was, he so innocently said, but isn't it just like different colors? Like, it's just it's just all the same you've seen one you've seen them all right and that's what generalizing is you've seen one you've seen them all yeah but not necessarily um yes that 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 makes sense that 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 can be very tricky with people and of course there are people who discover that they are not ready for mm-hmm. the kind of amount of homework and there, yeah. there's a lot of homework you do it's not just an hour a week um, or 50 minutes you do have to do a lot of work on your own it takes a lot of time to get mm-hmm. uh, to attend to this and to get through it but well Courtney you have been absolutely delightful guest um, well, thank and you. you. I'm so honored I, you I asked so, me to be part yeah, of this. Yeah, I think if I could figure out what room to record in, I should. I I might record. You know, on uh, every. I could be recording video at the same time. I don't, but you know, and go on YouTube because a lot of people go there instead of podcasts. But um, I had the messy office behind me has to go. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, you look amazing. You you have that kind of look about you that just it just exudes warmth and caring, and that that goes a long way too, especially with children. So I appreciate um, that. I, and I just love that you're working with this. You're near Orlando, Florida. So I, I know we have listeners from near there. So again, thank you very much for coming today. Of course. Thank you for having me.